0: The rest of you, grab your Bibles, please, and open up to Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. Most Christmases, if you would uh, honestly open up to a, a nativity scene, if you would open up and just say, I, w- I want to read about the birth, the, ad- the first advent, the first coming of Christ. Generally, where would people turn to? They would turn to what? Yeah, they would turn to Luke chapter 2. You know? um, it it kind of tells the whole narrative of you know, the angels declaring out to the shepherds who were watching their sheep by night. And all of a sudden there's a heavenly host and all the skies are filled up. And then all of a sudden the shepherds run off and they go to... A little town called Bethlehem, that's where everybody stood around holding their candles at a midnight vigil, right, and lighting those things. And And then uh, there, wrapped in swaddling clothes, was this baby. And And we just got this kind of oh, heartwarming kind of story about Jesus and how it all took place. And that's usually where we go. It, it's familiar, it's safe, it's really beautiful to go to. But I'm not We're not used to reading Matthew's version of the Advent. And it's really too bad because what we find here is that Matthew is writing kind of from Joseph's perspective of what is going on here. And it's it's short, but it's packed full of meaning. So let's read along, uh, starting at verse 18 and going to verse 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. From sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at uh, this Christmas story, this Advent story. And here's what I want you to be seeing from this passage. I want you to see that Jesus is unexpected, that he's miraculous, and he's the miraculous with us God who saves us from our sins. So he's unexpected, he is uh, miraculous, he is God with us, and he's the God who saves us from our sins. So I want you to kind of imagine, if you will, put yourself in Joseph's feet. You know, kind of sit there and go, okay, how would I be expecting the, the story to kind of be playing out? I want you to be able to see in here that there there's really surprise in this package. Maybe I didn't read it you know, in like a good readers theater kind of style, really dramatically, but the reality is there's a lot of surprise that took place in there. Back then, back in those days, you didn't date and get engaged. That's not how it worked out. We have kind of grew up in this culture thinking, man, I am going to date around and find as many people that are kind of like me, that kind of have the same flavors, the same kind of likes, differences. We kind of agree politically, theologically. We, we like each other. He's good looking. She's good looking. We kind of do this whole date the circle, get the whole gamut going. And then it's like after enough time has passed by, I think it, as a man, you're going, I've heard enough hints. If I don't put a ring on this finger, I'm going to lose it. And so I am going to go secretly buy a ring and I'm going to tell the closest friends about this exciting thing. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to sign up and get, get myself a photographer to hide out in this park so that I can catch this engagement moment. I'm going to spend thousands of dollars doing those kinds of things. And then when she least expects it, or so you think as a man, she's been anticipating this her whole life, you get down on your knee after blubbering something that you really don't know what you just said, and you show a rock. Maybe half a carrot, if you're really wealthy, three quarters of a carrot, and you say, will you marry me? The reality is, that is not how it happened. Back in those days, and my kids have already kind of heard this, your parents would find a spouse for you. (laughs) how would you like that in this culture uh, and then then you would enter into a, a binding agreement before witnesses in fact it is generally this the, the witnesses would be the entire city would be watching your town your village would be watching as you enter into a, a binding agreement with this person that and you say I will marry this person and this would be called your betrothal it, it was and once you were betrothed you were in bet- in an in-between period. You were not quite married yet. But the only way that you could end this betrothal could be through divorce. So you had said, I am giving my heart to this person. I promise that I will, all the way to the end, I will be faithful. She is one that i will pursue i will give my heart to i'll prepare a home for this one the only way that you can break off this even though you have not consummated the marriage yet the only way to break it off is through a divorce so in god's eyes you are basically married basically and then one year later or however long you would actually go through the whole marriage ceremony so in this passage you read that Joseph was betrothed to Mary. His parents had probably arranged this marriage. They, they had already committed to one another that they would get married probably down a year down the road. And all of a sudden, Joseph discovers, he notices something about Mary's figure probably, that there's maybe a bump. And he's going, what is going on? He discovers that Mary was four months pregnant. surprised there's something in there and in there that his heart starts beating go what is going on I've given my heart we have said yes and we are just waiting for that wedding day to consummate things and make it official move in together have a family have children be a great carpenter and and what is going on and he has a choice now he can marry her as he has planned and ignore the fact that she's been pregnant that she's pregnant and, the fact, and ignore the fact that he's not the father. He can make this a public matter, and Mary would be disgraced, and quite possibly she would be stoned by the city folks who watched their initial agreement. Or he can deal with this matter quietly and divorce her. He chooses to do the last until what happens? An angel shows up and stops him in his tracks. Do you see this here? Jesus is absolutely unexpected. Jesus is not the result of any human initiative whatsoever. Nobody thought up Jesus, thought up this idea. God took the initiative completely to bring about the birth of Jesus Christ to save his people from their sins. It was God's initiative, God's way of breaking into the world. And Jesus has been surprising people ever since. He's unexpected and he continues to show up unexpectedly in people's lives even today. Some of us are just waiting for like the great big kind of angel showing up and speaking to you in a dream and saying, hey, this is what's going on. Or Jesus breaking into your world and just saying, hey, this is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. The reality, God continues to break into our world in unexpected ways. But do we have the hearts and the eyes to see? We're looking for the shocker, right? Something to really jolt us. But God is constantly breaking in in unexpected ways. Do we have the hearts, the eyes to see it? It's often that we're just not looking for him. In fact, Jesus hasn't even crossed our minds. But then through the strangest of circumstances, God takes the initiative and shows up in the middle of our lives. It may be, even this morning, that Jesus is unexpectedly showing up in your life this morning. So Jesus is unexpected. But secondly, we can see that Jesus is absolutely miraculous. Verse 20 says, But as he, he, Joseph, was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph! Son of David, do not do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the what of the Holy Spirit. This is absolutely incredible. You think about it. This is kind of the stuff that the soap operas kind of dream up, right? It's like, what? How did that? Of course, soap operas are a little bit more predictable, It's like, oh, okay, Dr. So-and-so, and and this is happening, and all these kind of things. Oh, don't worry, he's going to come back in two or three seasons. But here, this is absolutely incredible. This would have been a surprise to anyone back at that time. This is not just like village kind of rumors. This is like miraculous kind of stuff. God, the Holy Spirit, came upon Mary, not as the biological father, but as the all-powerful God who was able to do the absolutely Miraculous. Jesus is not like the rest of us who who were born the natural way. Biological father and biological mother. No, Jesus was born miraculously. And Jesus is not just unexpected. He is also absolutely miraculous. In his work, uh, in the person of Christ, Don McLeod writes this. The virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas. And none of us must think of hurrying past it. He goes on to say, it stands at the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying our rationalism, informing us that all of the following belongs to the same order as itself and that if we find it offensive there is no point in proceeding further why is this the virgin birth absolutely critical why is this miraculous event critical david mathis gives us four reasons number one it highlights the supernatural birth of jesus it's supernatural it is this absolutely amazing gift it's like what You can't plan this kind of stuff. It is supernatural. It also shows us that we need a salvation that we ourselves cannot bring. So not only is it a supernatural birth, it is the kind of supernatural birth that we need and that we cannot bring. God said, listen, what you need is not just a magic cure, a little pill or a little bit of work. I need to give you a supernatural birth to give you exactly what you need. And on top of that, it shows us that this had nothing to do with us. It shows us that God takes the initiative. It's always God who is, who's takes that first step. It's always God who is calling. It's always God who provides a way. It has nothing to do with us. God is showing up in these miraculous unexpected kind of ways. But it also hints. It hints at a Fully human and fully divine nature, as found in the person of Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. Joined together into one. The only way. I'm just getting ahead of myself. Only way that the forgiveness of sins can fully take place. Wayne Grudem writes this: God, in His wisdom. God in His wisdom ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ so that His full humanity would be evident to us from the fact of His ordinary human birth from His human mother and His full deity would be evident in the fact of His conception in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' birth was completely unexpected. It was absolutely miraculous. God took the initiative, took the initiative and did the absolutely impossible. Just like he takes the initiative and he brings salvation that we cannot achieve ourselves. So Jesus is unexpected. He's absolutely miraculous. And then third. We see that Jesus is God with us. In verses 22 and 23, it says, And all this took place that the Lord had spoken by his prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Which means? God's with us. Yeah, so Emmanuel, God with us. This is absolutely shocking. The the angel says that Jesus' name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us, or, or, or the, the with us God. So, Matthew Woodley, I am loving his commentary. Uh, just listen to the, this explanation in, in kind of graphic terms. He says this, it means that, that Jesus is God with us as he swims in Mary's amniotic fluid. Think about that. God with us as he is swimming about in Mary's amniotic fluid, wiggles in the manger straw, feeds the hungry, heals the sick. Jesus is God with us as he takes the bread in his hands and said, this is my body, broken for you. Jesus is God with us as he hangs from the cross, gasping for breath and shouting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He descends into our messy world, standing in solidarity with human suffering, plunging ever deeper into our pain and apparent abandonment. Back in those days, the Greeks would have thought this is absolutely absurd kind of stuff. The thought that God, a God actually taking on a human body. One Greek philosopher sarcastically said this, or asked this, how can one admit that God should become an embryo? That after his birth, he is to put on swaddling clothes. That he is soiled with blood and bile and worse things yet. Even today, people struggle with this very idea. A Muslim professor uh, says that he can't comprehend that God would become small, tiny, and weak. Kenneth Craig, who is a a scholar on Islam, says that although Muslims have a great tenderness for Jesus, and, and they find his nativity story miraculous, they still see the incarnation as simply an impossible concept. It's impossible. But what we see here is that God is with us. Jesus is God coming to us first as a fetus. Think about this. There's an unplanned pregnancy. Then there's a baby. And later a 12-year-old boy in the temple courts. Then there was later a teacher. And then there was a condemned criminal who was stripped naked on a cross. And then there was a risen and ascended Lord. The writer to the Hebrews says this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Every respect. Why? So that he can, so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Matt Proctor put it this way. Here's the point. God himself has felt what we feel. In the incarnation, he chose not to stay completely other. He got down at eye level. And in the incarnation, God experienced what it is like to be tired and discouraged. God experienced what it is like to be us. He knows what it's like to hurt and to bleed. On the cross, Jesus himself prayed a psalm of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's the reality, friends. This is not just a one-time Christmas kind of event of God with us. This is the kind of thing, this God with us is this kind of beautiful thing about who God really is. This is his very character. God is the God who is with us. And here are just some examples. God said to Jacob as he was about ready to set out into the great unknown. And and he is also saying to this, as we sometimes step out into the great unknown. He says this, and behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Or how about when, and we've heard this when we were in uh, Exodus, when uh, Moses was having this conversation with God and said, God, do not leave the Israelites, do not leave these people. And God said this, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest i will give you rest and you can hear these same words from our god who is with us jesus who is god with us you can hear these exact same words through god's presence somehow miraculously unexpectedly god says listen i will go with you and not only will i go with you not only will i be your companion along the way i will give you rest Or what about the song that is sung by by Generations and generations and generations of of Israelites throughout the Old Testament and even to be sung today in Psalm 47. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We too can know that God is our refuge. Our strength. He is our very, very present help in trouble. Or how about Matthew 28, verse 20? When Jesus said, And behold, I am with you, how often? Always. Always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Or how about, those words that we are going to hear in in Revelation 21 at the very consummation when everything is coming to an end, it, and, and you, you're going to hear this very loud voice on the throne saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God." So we come to the very end. We, we've seen since the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God creates. He puts man in the garden. He walks with him. He's with them. Sin happens. But God continues to walk with his people and say, I'll be your presence. I will be with you. This is who I am. I love you. You are mine. I created you. You are my people. And at the very end, he brings us to the very end and says, listen, I didn't start that and say, I'm going to just stop there. I will be with you. You will dwell with me. So think of heaven on earth. And God's going to say, listen, for eternity, never ending, I will dwell with you. You will be my people. I will be with you as your God. So in our... In our pain, in our suffering, in our trials, in our questions, we're tempted to say, God, you have, you have absolutely no freaking idea what I'm going through right now. This is, this is painful. I am, I'm hurting. I, it's killing me. I don't get it. Y- you have no idea how bad it is right now in this moment. But to which God is going to respond, yes, I do. And he can point you to your wounds and then he'll point you to his own and says, look, me too. Look, right here too. He'll say, I've entered into your world and I I know how you feel. I, I have been there. I am with you now. I care and I can help. And this, friends, is what Christmas is all about. Jesus is the unexpected, miraculous God with us. It's not about your, your beautifully constructed Christmas tree that is amazingly ordained with all kinds of swirly junk that you throw back into a box until next year. That's not what Christmas is about. It's not about your thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars that you spend on Christmas gifts that your kids can't wait to tear apart. It's not even about your little uh, Christmas-like rituals that you do uh, around the Christmas season that you never do any other time of the year. You know, you read little special things that, oh, let's all gather around and have this moment. That's not even what Christmas is about. It's about this unexpected, miraculous God who's saying, I am going to be with you. And no, in fact, I'm not going to be with you. I am with you. Right now, quit celebrating Christmas one time a year. Advent is for the church 365 days a year. But that's not it. Finally, we see that this unexpected, miraculous God with us, Christ, is our Savior. We see that this Jesus saves us from our sins. We learn in verse 21 exactly what Jesus came to do. She will bear a son, and you will name, you will call him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Wouldn't you love to have a name that kind of gives you your, your here on out? You know, this is my job description now. I am Paul. My, my name means small. <laughs> um, I don't know what that means. Maybe it's a kind of a pride thing. And God's saying, you got a whole lifetime to work out your pride issues with your name. But wouldn't you love a name where God says, Jesus? You know why I'm, your name is Jesus? Because you are going to be the one who is from your childhood. I want you to know this. You are the one who is going to save your people from their sins. That's your job. Now work it out. So here we have, in Jesus, we have the solution for all of our problems, our sin problems. Jesus came to live the perfect life that we could not live, that we still are not living. And then he went to the cross and he bore our sins. And he rose from the dead to give us new life. Jesus is the absolute solution to every sin problem. And Jesus came to save us from those sins. How many of you know what it's like when somebody shows up at your door and you go <gasps> I was unexpected for th- this is an unexpected moment cuz you know behind this door you know if you let them into your house you're going to go they are going to see all my unfolded laundry my unvacuumed floor. They are going to see tons of dishes. They are going to see my children fighting. This this house is absolute chaos. I really would like you to stay out. Anybody ever had those uh, unexpected moments where people just show up and you go, (laughs) Uh, liar. (laughs) Liar. Well, there's a gentleman by the name of Mike Silva who wrote a book called, and this is deeply theological, the title, Would You Like Fries With That? But he wrote about Uh, an experience when something like this happened to him. And he wrote this. Most people would, would be a little embarrassed to have unexpected company when their house is a mess. My family was staying at a hotel in Nigeria, West Africa, one time when I heard a knock on the door. I opened it and found a smiling Nigerian gentleman ready to clean our room. I was so embarrassed, he wrote. My family had travel bags, curling irons, and crumpled clothing sprawled across our unmade beds. Wet towels were all over the bathroom floor. I apologized profusely, but then the young man replied graciously, saying this, No problem, sir. For this reason, I have come, to put your things in order. And the Bible says this is exactly what Jesus came to do for us, to put our things, lives in order. He doesn't demand that we first straighten up our mess. No, instead he offers to clean up for us. That's why Christ came. He came to clean up your mess, my mess, our mess, the mess of this world. In fact, there's going to be that point where there's no more sorrows there's no more tears there's no more death there's no more sickness there's no more why because he has come to make all things absolutely right and at that point for eternity upon eternity all things will be right because he has set things straight so Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins, to clean up the mess that we could not and cannot still clean up ourselves. The reason, this is the reason why Jesus came. And so many of us, myself included, including all of you in here, work so hard to clean up our mess all on our own, don't you? If I could just be more disciplined about this. If I could just do this, if I could just prod him to do a little bit more of this, if I could prod her, if I could do this, maybe I could get on this 21-day program and I could do this, or maybe I could just sign up for this online thing which is going to stop me from looking at pornography, or maybe I could have an accountability partner who's going to just tell me, you know what, hey, let's, let's stop the gossip thing, or let's start, stop being negative, or let's stop doing this, or let's stop doing that. In reality, what we need is this miraculous, unexpected God with us who is saying... No, I will save you, and I will set things all right. Yes, you can use your friends. You can have 21-day programs. But if you rely on them apart from Christ, you are absolutely hopeless. Know that. Friends, this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus is the unexpected. He's the miraculous with us God who saves us from our sins. This is the Christ that we celebrate, that we should be singing loudly and gladly and almost crazy charismatically about. We we cannot wait to show up on Sundays and we even show up early to prepare our hearts for engaging this kind of Christ. I can't wait. I can't wait to worship this God. And it's not just during the Christmas season. It is all 52 weeks where you say, Lord, I can't wait. I can't wait for you to show up in unexpected, miraculous ways every day of my life, especially on Sundays. I can't wait for you to experience as we hear the word. You know what preaching is? Preaching is not just hearing a sermon. It is God speaking to you. And I'm not God. But through his spirit, somehow God miraculously chooses broken people like me to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you go, "Thanks be to God. And we anticipate God with us as we hear the word, the ministry of the word, as we break bread and and drink of the cup, saying, through this I am going to be nourished and I'm going to be fed. How? Not just by simple elements, but by God with us. And I'm also going to be deeply encouraged and remember that my sins are forgiven. Last night, Laura and I went to... a a birthday party and one of the uh the women that we were talking to, uh Teresa, we were talking about first uh concerts and uh I I ash- ashamedly said, Well, my first concert was um striper. <laughs> and for those of you who are not in the Christian circles, um they were just this odd group of Christian musicians um, who one of their well-known songs was uh, To Hell With The Devil and they would scream it out kind of an easy deezy Christian version, kind of. it was just bad and, and she goes, oh, I, I didn't know there was Christian music like that and I go, oh, you shouldn't uh, it's really bad uh, uh, I, I said, so Teresa, what, what was yours? And she goes I feel kind of bad being telling you this, but um, my first concert was um, a U2 concert. I said, shut up! And she goes, yeah, Joshua Tree nonetheless. I go, shut up! And she goes, and on top of that, it was in Dublin. I go, shut <laughs> up! And then I'm going, oh, I hate you. You're so cool. And, but then I go, I said, you know what the irony is? I am using a Bono quote tomorrow morning in my sermon. She goes, shut up. <laughs> so here, here's the deal. Bono, who, for those of you who don't know, was the lead singer for U2. and he, After he returned to Dublin, he attended a Christmas Eve service. And at some point in the service, Bono grabbed the truth at the heart of the Christmas story. Now, here's me not saying Bono is a Christian or anything. I have no idea really where the man's heart is. He is. I'm going to trust you. but, But he grasped this truth at the heart of the Christmas that in Jesus, God became a human being. And so with tears streaming down his face, Bono realized this. And I quote, the idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child, born in poverty and straw, a child. I just thought, wow. Just the poetry. I saw the genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. Love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love has to be made flesh. So in Jesus Christ, love found its form. In Jesus Christ, love became someone absolutely concrete. At Christmas, love was made flesh. And Jesus is the un expected, absolutely miraculous, with us God, who saves us from our sins. And oh, friends, I pray that much like Bono, that we would regularly have those aha moments where hot tears would stream down our face of saying, for me, Really? For me? And that those moments would lead us to greater, greater worship, appreciation, greater loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and greater acts of love and service to our neighbors. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have uh, initiated everything. You initiated the creation of this world. You initiated the creation of Adam and Eve and breathed life into us. You, You initiated the first relationship between mankind and you, God. And you initiated even the hope that was found in the fall in Genesis chapter 3 by shedding the blood of an animal and covering over the the nakedness and the shame of Adam and Eve. God, it was You who promised and initiated with, with Abraham a way, a people. It was You who, through David, said there is a coming king. Even through Jeremiah, pointing to this coming king. And Lord, it is through You that You initiated and fulfilled all the promises of the prophets found in Jesus Christ. And God, this is absolutely unexpected, miraculous, and a tremendous way of revealing again that you are our God who is with us. A God who is saving us from our sins. So, Father God, as we come, we know that we don't have to invoke your name to bring you here. For you are already with us. By your Spirit, you dwell within us. The presence of Christ walks about with us. There is nowhere we can go, no heights, no depths, no anything that can separate us from the love of Christ and even your presence you are with us. And for that, God, we thank you. We thank you, God, that as we come to this table, you are with us. And you desire to feed us. As you have fed us with the gospel, you are feeding us again with these sacraments, reminding us and pointing us to the once-done work of Christ that is constantly being applied to our lives. Sear this into our hearts and our minds,